This is the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast. And we're back on the wonderful, wonderful Catholic Movie Guy Podcast. Starring me, the Catholic Movie Guy, and no one else. That's right. The Tim Man. The Tim Man. Uh, I'm joined by my bosom companion, brother, friend, frenemy, the Tim Man. Mentor? Mentee? It's me, the Tim Man. Uh, Tim, this is an unusual podcast for you because we're actually going to talk about a serious film. That I watched. That you watched. Yes. But it's not new, so it's okay. No, and though I may not be as erudite... As the Reverend Dr. Bo Gibson Bonner Jr., noted televangelist and all-around smart guy, uh, I can provide an insight and some wacky uh, antics, I believe is what he said. Did he really say you did antics? That's kind of yeah. insulting. I, no, he's he's a piece of work. And shots fired. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, no, he's from Iowa. He's got to do something that makes him feel good. <laughs> That's what cow tipping is for. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But anyway, but lest we mislead the audience into think, thinking this is another Christmas movie podcast or something, we're going we're gonna to take this one seriously because this is one of my absolute favorite movies ever. It's, you know, everybody asks, you know, what's your favorite movie, Catholic movie guy? And I say, oh, it's tough. It's real tough. Love the movies. Love many movies. But I have a definite top three. Definite top three. Yep. Your top three changes. No, it's always the same. All right. I don't know which order it is, but Vertigo is definitely in the top three. But yeah, it's definitely in my top three. It might be number one. It's the wonderful Alfred Hitchcock 1958 masterpiece, Vertigo. Yes, Vertigo, which is very, it's a very serious documentary about childhood skin disease. I think you're thinking of Impetigo, which would go with Vertigo. They rhyme, right? Oh, the Tin Man. The Tin Man failed medical school. Yeah, that's true. I'm pretty long. Mostly because he didn't go to medical school. <laughs> but, but anyway, this movie's great. I, I'm going to do, you know, I guess I'll do a little plot summary. But really, if you haven't seen it, please go right now. It's, you know, 60, no, 70. It'll be 70 years old next year. That's crazy, right? That's cool. Is that right? No, 60 years old next year. I, I didn't. I didn't go to medical I'm not school pre-math. either. I'm not pre-math either. <laughs> but uh, go watch it now. Uh, it's uh, it's not family viewing, I would say, I guess. But it's uh, there's nothing morally objectionable about it. <laughs> no, but you'd have one weird family if yeah. your kids loved it, i got to tell you. So it's the story of James Stewart. He's a wonderful actor who uh, plays a detective, Scotty John Ferguson, who goes by Scotty for no apparent reason. Well, Ferguson probably is a Scottish name. I guess so. So uh, he goes by Scotty, like, uh, and uh, that's what he does. And he's a, he's a cop, and he's chasing this other cop who's chasing a bad guy at the beginning of the movie. And one thing leads to another, and cop, other cop, tragically falls to his death because James Stewart discovers he's got the vertigo. <laughs> Uh, so the story ostensibly is about him and his fear of heights and how he grapples with that. But uh, as part of his uh, dotage, after he retires from the force because he can't handle the swings, rounders, uh, he, he the guy's name was Gavin. So he assigns uh, Oscotti to follow his wife, who he claims is like possessed by a dead woman. Spoiler alerts to follow. She's not actually possessed by anyone. It's all an elaborate ruse to get James Stewart to verify his wife's suicide when it turns out he's actually had his wife murdered. Fair summary so far? Sure is. Right. And her suicide involves him having another encounter with his impetigo. Right, he's going up the church tower at a mission. Right. And he can't make it to the top to save her because he's too scared. Right. 
So she falls to her death, apparently, when actually Gavin had killed his wife and thrown her from the roof. And he's none the wiser. Later on, he encounters the woman he had uh, been following, whom he had fallen in love with, played by the wonderful Kim Novak. Novak. We're Novak. Not in, we're not in Eastern Europe. And um, then he remakes her in his own image to be like the woman he had been following and had fallen in love with, mm-hmm. Gavin's wife, Madeline. That's right. And uh, one thing leads to another. He finds out about the ruse, and he gets her uh, to go back to that bell tower where the crime had occurred. And as he's confronting her, and he says, basically, you know, uh, now that I know, it just it can't we can't be together even though we're madly in love. A nun walks up the bell tower says, I heard voices, and the next thing you know, old Kim is dead. Right, because seeing a nun is a horrendous and uh, a very harrowing experience for any person, let alone a murderess. So that's the movie. Now, it doesn't sound that great when I just summarize it, but it's so awesome. The thing that's awesome about the movie isn't just that it's directed by perhaps the greatest director of all times. Yeah, he's in the he's conversation pretty, He's pretty sure. good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that it has so much to say about truth, and particularly that long, 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 deep-seated problem of man, concupiscence. Yeah. My theory of this movie. You've all now seen it. Concup- the wages of sin is death. That's what St. Paul says. Bingo. This movie is the best illustration of that I've ever seen, and particularly the sin of lust or concupiscence. At every step he gives into his lust, it leads to death. At every step that the woman, can't, uh, what's her, uh, Judy or Madeline, gives into it, it leads to death. And the movie's not really about his fear of heights at all. The fear of heights is a visual representation of his dealing with this thorn in the flesh of concupiscence thoughts well um like i have said i think that this movie in a way yeah you got a point there i mean the whole vertigo the vertigo contraption device here and really one of the things that makes hitchcock and one of the great things about this movie the cinematography is that shot of his uh of the vertigo when Scotty looks down. Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, that, that it's was... highly stylized. It was highly stylized, right. And uh, there's a couple of really psychedelic scenes that I'm, I'm digressing. Yes, the vertigo is portrayed as this paralyzing thing to him. He can't get over it. It, it paralyzes him when he needs to act. It makes him uh, not brave when he needs to be brave. It sidelines him. It ruins his mental uh, sanity. I mean, he's... It is... It's it an is. all-encompassing thorn in the flesh, as you said. So this isn't just, wow, I'm afraid of heights. It, it debilitates him. It is visually disorienting, and it's actually disorienting him. Like, you know how the, uh, sin, sin causes intellectual blindness. This is like the physical manifestation of that. He follows this woman who's married to Gavin, right? He's supposed to follow her to keep her safe. He slowly give, he, he gives into his desire for her because she's beautiful. He, he falls in love with her. He starts to do things like hold her hand embrace her things that you know that he knows are wrong and eventually because of his carnal desires he's hanging out with he's basically on a date with her at the mission right that's what leads directly to her death uh so his his literal his spiritual blindness becomes almost literal and that he cannot follow her he can't see the ruse that's in front of him and he also can't see his way to following her and saving her as he knows he's supposed to be doing for his job 
So his first lust, his first concupiscence for her, leads to the death of his love and actually the, the death, or the, at least the apparent death. Un, apparent death and unaccountability for the death of Gavin's actual wife. Then he ignores, throughout the movie, he ignores his better instincts and his reason. Midge, the woman that is right in front of him, is not Kim Novak. Yeah, or Kim Novak. Right. Neither. I'm going with Novak from yeah, forever. There's no way... No so, way. so she's not like classically beautiful, but she's she's wonderful. She's clearly in love with him. Yes. And he ignores what's right in front of him, the woman he should be with, for this illicit, adulterous obsession of his. Mm-hmm. Then he gets a second chance at things in, with Judy. He meets again another wholesome woman right. that for inexplicable reasons. Of course, we they're very explicable once you know who she is. And so, for the viewer who hasn't uh, seen this, the no, listener who hasn't seen it, so yeah. this. Judy's her hair is different. Right, right. She's not this platinum blonde. They really shouldn't be. And she's not though. as classy, right? Right. So she's to just me, an American, right? She's plenty hot. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's talk about Kim Novak, Brewmaster. All right, there there are two manifestations of this woman, right? Well, she's the same actress. I mean, I don't want to spoil this. It's the same actress who plays both roles, and uh, Judy's plenty hot. I'd give her a hot on the hot scale, like totally hot. Mm-hmm. But that. Uh, when she plays the guy's wife, man, she is hotter than Hottie Hotterson. So I just wanted you guys to know that. Fantastic. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you. So, yeah, he... It, Midge is not. He gets a... I, I like Midge. Well, so he gets, yeah, but she's not hot. She's all right. She's all right. So I get a... I, 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 he gets a second chance. Yeah. How often does that happen, right? I mean, I, I mean, as close to a second chance in the exact, exact circumstances right. as possible. And he decides, no, I'm going to double down. I'm going to remake this woman into my illicit adulterous love affair. And he again causes an actual physical death as a result. That being said, he's remaking her in his image. When he finds out about the ruse, though, he's climbing the tower for the second time. And he's coming to to grips with the truth. And he's also, through every line of dialogue, coming to grips with the fact that he can't go through with it. It's not right. It's not the same. No matter how much he tried, he's not going to bring Madeline back. And now that he knows that Judy is Madeline, he knows that he can't. It's just—it's just like that, like uh, in Gatsby, when uh, when Fitzgerald says, "Boats borne ceaselessly back into the past." You know, it, it can't be the same. And because of the murder, he can't be with her, knowing this. He's, he has a duty to the truth and to the law. No, I think I think it's more sinister than that. Well, let me finish mine. Okay. All right, go ahead. No, give me why is this right. nice. So he wants her to be something that she's not. I mean, and I want to, I'll come back around to this, not to the point, you know, I'll bring up later, but also to this point that he has women who want him to love them for who they are, Midge and Judy. Okay. So when he find, so he, he, he makes Judy go through one humiliation and modification after another. To be what he wants her to be. Yeah. And, and she's then, willing to do it because she loves him. And as long as she does it, he's cool with it. And he just keeps pushing her. As soon as he finds out that it's really her, that she he, she's not the woman he made, but actually a real person, it's real. He can't handle the real girl. The real girl is not as good as what he wants to make for himself, no matter what she does. It's total pride. Not only is his pride wounded by getting uh, snookered, is that a word, snookered, yeah. uh, by Gavin, but this real woman is not good enough for him. It doesn't matter what she does. See, I, I mean, I see what you're he saying. He rejects the real for the fantasy. I don't think that interpretation holds water. Oh, okay. I don't think I the wonder, case... Does the case hold water? I wonder what the uh, Reverend Dr. Bo Bonner would say to that. I don't know. Because he knows all about me. 
Shots fired. So speaking of obsessions. Yeah. Well, you know, I think about them a lot. Uh, These are fine. Yet. I don't think the interpretation holds water. And here's why. He's trying to remake this actual woman into Madeline. Under your theory, when he finds out it's actually Madeline, if he's just motivated by lust, if he continues to just be motivated by lust, as, it, as he apparently has been, he would be satisfied. No, that's the whole point. No, no. She, that's who she really is. All of a sudden, it's staring him in the face that she's not the woman that he made her to be. She is this woman also. He didn't make her. Not good enough. Uh, I, I see what you're saying, but I disagree, and here's why. Vertigo, if we take vertigo, the vertigo as a stand-in for this debilitating disorientation caused by his out-of-control concupiscence or lust, that last scene, when he's charging up that tower, he doesn't have vertigo. He doesn't have to look down. He doesn't have the experience. And the last shot of the movie, after Judy dies, is him standing out on the balcony, looking down, completely free of his vertigo, in an almost Christ-like pose with his arms to the side. It is, to me, not the pose of, of someone who has... I don't know, it doesn't seem to me the pose of someone who is, is, has done something wrong, but rather the pose of someone who has finally overcome his vertigo. Yes, yeah, I, uh, you have a point with him losing his vertigo, and that's a, a mark in the favor of, like, he's accepting reality. But uh, he's the opposite of Christ-like. This is the... Do you remember how um, no. in Brideshead, Julia Marchman, she... Brideshead visited. Yes, she talks about... By the great, wonderful, even the wow, he's yeah. wonderful. Right, who was married to a woman named Evelyn. Mm-hmm. Strange. Yeah. So uh, strange, Julia, but not terribly relevant. Julia talks to Charles about her marriage with Rex Matram, the great Rex Matram, who is symbolized, I think, by Mark Shea and all those. Uh, okay. Neo all right. All right. So she talks about how he's not a whole person. There's an essential part of him missing. This character of Scotty is not a complete man. He's not a man. Okay. He is missing something incredibly uh, essential to being a real man. I, I agree. I mean, I really agree with that. I think that's the, exactly what the movie's trying to say about Scotty up until the very end. Because at the very end, he's, he's driven by concupiscence right until halfway up the stairs. When he learns the truth, well, I mean, he's learned about the truth before then, okay? But when he finally gives himself over to that truth, he has the opportunity to continue to give in to his lusts that has led to one woman's death and he chooses not to. She says, but I did it all because I loved you, Scotty. I loved you. And he says, no, no, there's no bringing her back. I see how that supports your interpretation. But I think it also supports mine, which is someone has died. Someone innocent, truly innocent, not like us. Someone that's a total innocent has died because in part of my actions and my inability to follow what I know is right. And it's not going to happen again. And I think that... At that moment, he loses his vertigo and he is saved. When the nun comes up, I heard voices. Does Judy jump to her death or does she trip to her death? I read a very interesting blog post, but I don't, I don't even remember that. I, I wish I could credit yeah, the guy. It's called Smog Post. That uh, he and his wife watched the movie and he was convinced, so of course she tripped. And his wife's like, wow, she just committed suicide. And then they ran back the scene and there's no indication either way. I always thought that she jumped. But I thought I, that she jumped. Okay. But I don't think it matters. I think what matters is the nun, it's at a church. He's finally going over to the, to the light. The nun comes up and she is God's judgment upon them. 
upon Madeline, upon Judy, for what she did. And she scares her literally to death, whether she fell or jumped. It's God's just punishment because she was ready to continue and to give in to what she wanted, despite its disorientation, whereas Scotty finally stopped at that precipice, literally, and went no further and conquered everything. I, I think you make a salient point. Uh, my thing is this. He doesn't, it, it's his pride and his anger. It's like, you tricked me. I am not going to let, I'm not going to let you love me because you tricked me. As long as she was a willing victim to his manipulation, he was happy to use her. But as soon as she declared it to be, um, uh, as soon as he knew the truth and she wanted to love him anyway, he, had, he wanted no part of her because she didn't play his game. He was motivated at that point by anger and pride. And I don't see how that can cause him to be free of the vertigo. Well, certainly that wouldn't. Right. And so I'm his to that anger and pride caused her to jump. No. I don't, I don't think she so. Would, he she wouldn't wasn't accept going her. to jump until the nun came up. Did right, but he what, what, did she jump because it was a nun, on your theory? Or fall because it was a nun. Either way, okay. not him. But when she says, you know, I want to love you anyway, he's like, no. Then, because he won't, now when the nun comes up, there's a witness. The nuns who saw the body of Madeline, who actually was pitched off by her husband... Now we'll see this woman who looks exactly like her, and they'll be an eyewitness. She can't handle it. She escapes. She despairs and suicides. I don't see Jimmy Stewart being a hero in that point at all. I don't think he's overcome his his personal. Okay. He's demon not. A, like he's that. not a hero, and I, I'm sorry if I said that. No, I just, um, what that's I mean what bothers is, me about your Christ-like pose at the end. Well, it's not my pose; it's his pose. Correct, but I don't think it bears an interpretation that he is Christ-like at all. If it wants to evoke Christ's sacrifice to save Jimmy Stewart, under your theory, I get that, but. Yeah, the, the dude, I wanted to punch him right in the face. You, you know, this is what I, I love about Catholicism. and You can live your whole life doing everything wrong, but as long as you repent, it doesn't matter. Not that it doesn't matter. It all matters. But that you can achieve some sort of salvation. And all I'm saying is, well, you're like all great movies, this isn't like some pat ending where it says the moral of the story is this. It's open to interpretation. Yours is perfectly valid. And it might even be true. It might be better. But it certainly doesn't satisfy all these thematic elements, especially the inexplicable disappearance of his vertigo, Yeah, and, as the other theory does. And I will admit that if if he repented of what he did, then, then your ending makes a lot of sense. Um, I didn't see him as having repented as much as saying no to her well, he dictating any terms. Well, yours is a much more, is a common uh, interpretation of the end, I would say more common, and a feminist gloss, which is that, you know, oh, he... Me? Yeah. Feminist? Well, sure. He's, he's, he is objectifying this woman. He is remaking her. I'm the Tim Man. And he causes her death again, and that's the movie, you know. But, but I'm, a, I'm a known misogynist. But to me, I just, I find more support in the, in the script and in the visuals and in the loss of the vertigo for the fact that, when I say, re when I say repent, I don't mean he made a good confession, he's, he's going to go to heaven. I mean that he finally said, nope, I can't go any further in pursuing this lust. It's wrong. That's all. But my problem with that interpretation, that ending, is that it lets him off scot-free. And see, I, I totally disagree. First, he has been played the fool. He's lost everything he has. And he is not giving in to his, what he wants, which is Madeline or Judy playing the part of Madeline. 
And then that, even that limited thing he doesn't want, dies. I mean, how is that getting off scot-free at all? But I don't see his saying you can't bring her back as a form of repentance of that, you know, decision, but rather him punishing her. Oh, you want me now, but you've hurt me, so I'm going to cast you out. I, I took it as an anger and retribution moment. Well, I, it's valid. I think it is. He is angry, but I don't think it's retribution. I think it's an acknowledgement that this house of cards he's constructed for himself can't stand one way or the other. I don't see that as um, negative, and I think it's the first step toward repenting. Like, wow, I've really got myself into a tizzy here, and it's uh, it's totally fake, and I can't keep going with this. Look at what look at what I'm responsible for. That's how I took it. And frankly, you know, even from my perspective, if somebody accepts reality, accepting reality is in a way repenting because it puts you in right relationship with God. I mean, so to say that he accepted reality, this is who this woman is. That is in one way. He's adhering to the truth in, in however limited fashion he can do. So the ending, ambiguous. But I, I also, I, I love the nun as God's judgment. I just think that's very... I mean, even in your interpretation, so in a certain I mean, sense, she does deserve death. She's responsible for a murder. She was a willing uh, cohort. You, uh, I mean, your your take on it is kind of like my take on um, No Country for Old Men at the hotel room. It's like you're digging deep, deep, deep. Because to me, it's just, oh, here's an eyewitness. She saw me before. Tim, it's not like your take. <laughs> your take would be if the nun was a chimera that just came out of nowhere, was actually a figment of Kim's imagination. Chimera? That, chimera, yeah. Chimera? Yeah. That's how you're going to pronounce it. Oh, that's how it's pronounced in the All dictionary. Right, whatever. So, you know, I guess we each have our own uh, favorite interpretation of events, but I guess that the third interpretation would be kind of the, what's that level just above the subtext? The super subtext or text. Yes, the text. No, wait, what was that other one? Super subtext. I think the super subtext here is maybe they were reconciling, maybe they were breaking apart, they still loved each other, whatevers. But, you know, the nun comes up and there's sort of a judgment of the universe, the Lord, whatever, that prevents this illicit love affair. Sometimes your nun just comes up. It hurts. Oh. See Bo Bonner do that. I mean, I guess I guess what I'm saying is whether Jimmy was uh, repenting in the true sense or if it was just his pride that says he can't be with her because it's a a figment of his imagination. It's a it's a it's an illusion. Right. Either way, it's the first step toward repentance, like you said. Right. Um, returning to my theme of pornography. When he allows her to kiss him, and he's you know they're, they're sort of starting to make out a bit, it's like the sinner who goes to return to his own vomit, like the dog. You know, you can be uh, persuaded to fall back into the habit again. And who knows if this was a real reconciliation, like you said? But if he gives her enough time to work on it, maybe he's just going to like his big declaration of independence is going to be for nothing, and that's when the judgment of God comes down. So is that intentional? Uh, is it coincidental? Intentional by whom? By the Lord to like. Oh no! Yeah, I know, mean, is that the moment of judgment, or is certain, that just inten- coincidental in the film? Right. I think it's certain. I, I don't know. I think the film, good films are pregnant with meaning. It obviously means something. I, I think right. it has to mean some sort of a temporal punishment for what they've done, at the very least. Most of the things that I read on the internet from other people commenting on it, it seemed like this the generic opinion was that well, she convinces them she still loves him, and they're they're embracing, and then 
doom hits, where as opposed to what we've been saying, which is he's ending it. Well, I don't, I don't know if he's ending it, but that I don't think the former interpretation holds at all. I don't think it's clear that she's convinced him to go back with her just because she kisses him and he allows it to happen. I mean, that kiss could mean anything. It could mean a reunion. It could mean a kiss goodbye. It right. could mean anything. Right, but he kissed her back. It's like Brian Fellows. You know, he loves animals and they love him back. Well, you get a kiss. You're not going to not kiss back just because you're ending the relationship. Especially Who's going to do that? when she's hot. It's true. Sorry. Hashtag Brewmaster General. So uh, we, we agree that the movie's great. We agree the message of the movie essentially is concupiscence leads to death. And I think it, it related to that is I think this movie is a very powerful statement against pornography. Yeah. The relationship that Scotty has with both all three women in his life, if we mm-hmm. count Madeline Toys is that he wants to use them for his own ends. He, he objectifies and even, them. And even Midge in a different way. Right. So we learned that he had been engaged to Midge briefly. Midge broke it off, which I think is great for Midge, because apparently she, she saw that something was missing in him. He always tells her that she, she makes his favorite drink always the way he likes it. She's always uh, treating him like, Mommy, Mommy, you know what I'm saying? And uh, then when he has these dealings with the Judy Madeline figure, when he explicitly remakes her, and nothing is ever good enough. There's always a deeper humiliation that she has to go through. And these two women just want him to love them for who they are, and he refuses to see the good that's in front of him and instead intends to create his own fantasy world. That is pornography. Right. Yeah, I, I do. I, yeah, it's such a good movie. I mean, really. Yeah, it's terrific. It's terrific, and uh, Hitchcock gets accused a lot of of being misogynistic, treating his, which apparently, you know, a lot of people say he did treat his actresses very poorly. But I think this movie is at once in his, you know, tacit acknowledgement that he did that and the problematic nature of doing that. It's a wonderful movie, don't you think? Can we talk about how horrible that portrait of Midge was that she painted for for him off of that uh, gallery painting? Yeah, you know, the glasses are... I like like women with glasses, no problem with that, but those glasses were a little big, a little big. Poor, sensible Midge. I like Midge. I would, yeah. I mean, if I weren't married to the Catholic movie gal, you know, Midge would be a nice nice gal, real Midge. Midge. Yeah. I have to come back to the ending. I just, I feel like my ending's more satisfying. Yeah, sure. My... He's, he, his problem with the vertigo is that he cannot ascend. Yeah, he, check it he out. He is literally incapable of the type of ascending to the heavens that he needs to be. When does he finally ascend to the precipice of the church bell tower and stand on the ledge without fear after he says no more? That's a very thematically satisfying ending. Yeah, you know, if we go back to Dante, uh, yeah. the great Dante Alighieri. The Who's that? The, well, in the Divine Company, when he's lost in the woods, you know, and he can't ascend the hill to where the sun is shining, he's always leaning on the bottom foot. That is lust, the she-wolf, mm-hmm. that prevents him from ascending. Right. That's the one that finally defeats him. Okay, but it doesn't finally defeat uh, From ascending that hill, then he's got to go down through hell with old Virgie Boy. So he descends... Into the worst sort of depravity, then he reascends by steps, and finally makes it. Yes, through reason and grace. Right. Reason is pretty much exactly what I'm trying to say happens here. Yeah, that's why I'm I'm backing you up. Yeah. So it's a wonderful movie, and uh, Midge is wonderful, and uh, Madeline and Judy they're wonderful. Do we have to? Uh... <laughs> but. Oh my god. No, god. I'll save it for the end. No, 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 give it give it to me. I now. was gonna give my ratings, you know, instead of no, the no, no, we're not ready, not ready yet. No. One other thing. 
the movie, to a modern sensibility, is a bit long. A lot, of t- a lot of critics, when it came out, said it was way too long, it was indulgent, it was slow. What's hap- Nothing's happening. Also, the critics criticized Hitchcock, certain of them, for revealing the twist, which is a twist. I didn't expect it fully when I first saw the movie. Like a half an hour before the movie ends, Judy tells you through a voiceover when she's writing a letter yeah. exactly what happened. They're like, why didn't they save that twist for the very end? Imagine if Judy hadn't revealed it to you and you went up the bell tower with them, not knowing exactly what happened. I totally disagree. I agree with you. This is not M. Night Shalamalamalamalam. It's not just, hey, there's a cool twist. This is actually what happened. This is so much bigger than that. It's way better to know ahead of time with Judy. You need to know that Judy is Madeline in order to appreciate the humiliation that she undergoes and and his own depravity. Yeah, it's absolutely, because this isn't, and that was where I was going to leave because the length of the movie, yeah, it starts a little slow, okay? But it starts out as kind of like a a cop drama, becomes a (laughs) love interest story, and then it ends up with being a a completely uh, perceptive and devastating insight into human nature. Mm -hmm. And you need the time to make that happen right. in an organic way. Right. I agree completely. And Hitchcock gives you that. There, when, when he's tailing Madeline at the beginning of the movie, there are long, long periods of absolute silence. I mean, there's a, there's yeah. a score, but no speaking. And he's just observing her. And the, the, the way the, the scenes, the way the, the, the film is shot, just so beautiful. It's like he's watching these works of art and you can see how he becomes obsessed with her and how any man can become obsessed with something so beautiful. The movie's too long if it was intended to be a cop drama because what we learned very quickly or a thriller is that he is the worst detective in the world because (laughs) he tails somebody. He's about two inches off her bumper for like eight hours a day. I admit. And she never notices him. The whole thing is a scam. Of course, I admit that I thought that as I was watching it too, that's not really the point of him tailing her and of course there's an in universe explanation which right. is she knows he's Taylor right, 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 right. right but but he didn't uh, he, he's real stealthy and I gotta tell you maybe that's another thing too if you're talking about the pornography angle I mean he's what 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 uh, he's le- yeah he's he's not stealthy about his he's use letting of the, his yeah, desire he's, already interfere yeah. with what he should be doing bingo totally yeah. because boy he's horrible at tailing people so it's a it's a beautiful movie it has a lot to say about love it has a lot to say about objectification of humans it has a lot to say about concupiscence and truth it's one of we, the last movies where they have the picture of him driving and they have the, the background screen where clearly it's not him with the car. You know, it's the movie shown. I, I love that. That's a total 50s thing. Not, uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> okay, I'm maybe not. Sure. not but. I mean, and going back to the pornography thing, we didn't even talk about the most, I guess you'd call it pornographic scene in the movie, which is when she jumps in the bay, he rescues her, brings her back to his apartment. Now, of course, you know, the clothes are wet. She could get hypothermia or something, I suppose. But, uh, he clearly undresses her. I mean, not in the film, it would never depict that, but she wakes up naked. He's undressed her and and hung her clothes up to dry, and probably unnecessarily, and I think that's to show us that he's already in some sense violated her and violated his duties. Right, I mean, he's seen her naked, which is a big no-no, especially uh, if you're trying to be good. Right, but also, I mean, he he doesn't, this isn't even just a stranger. He knows this woman is someone's wife, and he is, I mean, he's... He's gone too far. Yeah, the line is a dot to him. He's gone too far because we're led to believe that she was unconscious the whole time. It's not as though he brought her into the house and then she took her clothes off right. when he wasn't in the room. So, no. yeah, at the time you noticed it and it was creepy as all get out. But I wanted you to, you, you mentioned something about Hitchcock himself talking about um, 
the the requests or demands of Stuart and the acquiescence of Kim to to his demands are not just the surface level she's changing her hair she's wearing this dress but they're showing her subjugation subtext yes I love that wonderful uh, there's a YouTube video out there you can find it if you look Uh, make me uh, no Uh, (laughs) Hitchcock gave an interview in the 70s at some point and they were talking about that scene in um, Judy's hotel room or apartment room uh, where he had gone through all the trouble of getting her the gray suit and got her hair dyed blonde, but she was wearing it down. That wasn't good enough. So Hitchcock said that her coming back with the hair all white, and she said everything that he wants her to be, is that that's like the equivalent of her undressing, except the hair's not up. It's the equivalent of her still having, as he said, her knickers on. Okay, So that wasn't good enough for him. And then he makes her go, and she agrees to go to the bathroom and, and pin her hair back up to be exactly like the Madeline character. And when she comes out, that's the equivalent of her uh, completely being undressed. Because in, in this sense, the more she dressed up or added disguises to please him, she was actually stripping because all of the things that would make him not know that it was her that was the actual Madeline are being stripped away. Right. And, and Hitchcock said that that was an intentionally sexual scene. Right, and that's, and that's wonderful that they could do that you know, without getting explicit, yet bringing the shame to bear on, on us as the viewer. But it's true, that's pornography. You're constantly searching for something that's not there, building it up, building it up. The more you build up, the less satisfied you are. And the more artifice you add onto the real thing, which is an actual human being, the actual, the, the less you come back with. I think it's it's wonderful. Also, I, I want to say, there's a, while we're talking about great documentaries, um, there's a documentary that AMC made called Obsessed with Vertigo. It actually is on my version of the DVD. It's like a half an hour, but it's, it's really interesting to get a perspective from a little bit in the past about the making of the film. And it also reminded me of that Room, two, room 237 documentary about The Shining. The it's Shining. like two hours about all these theories. I wish somebody would do that with Vertigo because I think you could, you could really make hay on some uh, far-out theories with this movie and... I'll I'll be the first to claim that uh, Vertigo is actually about the destruction of the Native Americans by white settlers. That's awesome. Um, But, you know, anyway, it's it's a great film, and we're only talking about it for 40 minutes. We could talk about it for four hours and not exhaust it. It's uh, it's really one of the best things ever. We could exhaust the listener, but not us. We'll do that whether we talk for four or 40 minutes. Yeah! Yeah! Seems anyway, it's, it's wonderful, it's, and it's absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, in my opinion, clearly the best Hitchcock movie of all time. I give it ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten bell towers. Bell's See, towers. I would give it something different. If I were you, I would give it ten floating Jimmy Stewart heads. That dream he has where he has the disembodied head and the kaleidoscope thing, that is as creepy as I'll get out. Why don't you give it that? i got to give it the Tim Man. Go ahead. I'm going to give this thing 10 out of 10 The Tim Mans. It is the second best Hitchcock movie ever. Don't say Rear Window. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Rear Window. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. This is like this is like that other movie that Tim's obsessed with and way overrates. Rear Window would be a respectable, though I disagree, choice. Tim is talking about rope. R-O-P-E spells rope. It checks all the Tin Man's boxes. It's actually good. Bing. It's all talking. No Bang. action. It, hap- it has a, a gimmick. It's all in one room, which you can uh, delight guests at his cocktail parties. Bingo. And it's just obscure enough 
to not be the easy choice for favorite Hitchcock no, movie. easy choice. That's Bo Bonner's territory. That right. guy, yeah. whatever. You love Bo. Yeah, he's great. Oh, if only I'd done this podcast with Bo. Yeah, although my confidence was shaken when we were in a group of gentlemen who, uh, you know, somebody named Rope, and I'm like, mm, maybe I ought to rethink this. Maybe I ought to rethink this. <laughs> yeah, no, this. if someone else likes it, it's not good enough. No, Go ahead, give me a rating of this movie. The Tim Man, 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 the Tim Man. That's 11 Tim Mans out of 10. Indeed, but what, ladies and gentlemen, did my Madeline think of the movie? Hi, honey. Oh, hi. Hey, how you doing? Should I leave the room? Just great. Honey, I, I'm really glad to hear how you're doing, but what I really want to know is, have you seen that movie Vertigo? Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, how do I want to phrase this? Did you like that? I Yeah, I did. Why? I did like that. Why? Did you like it as much as me? Don't you think you should like it no. exactly as much as me? The Tim Man? Um, it's a little okay. vertigo joke, uh, see? Not... So, uh, what did you think of the ending? What do you think it's trying to tell us, this movie? Well, I'm making dinner right now. I'm not ready for <laughs> you know, philosophical discussions. Bing! <laughs> even vertigo meant. Love you, honey. Love you, too. Well, there you have it. Is it Judy, is it Madeline, or is it the Catholic movie girl? It's all of them. I just want to know what's for dinner. Me too. On that note, I'm going to back out of the room slowly, get away from the Tim Man, and not fall off the ledge. What are we going to do next week, Tim Man? Uh, I don't know. Of course not, because I'm replacing you with Dr. Bo Bonner, Bo Bonner Jr. the third, the very reverend, right, honorable. See you, mate.